Hello, and welcome to Filled with His Love. Today, I want to talk about how we can disagree and still improve relationships rather than hurt them. So, President Nelson recently offered six suggestions for how we can do this. His suggestions reminded me of a study that was done at BYU years ago that showed that the most powerful contributor to marital happiness is how couples handle conflict. The researchers observed couples who were engaged and measured how successful they were at handling difficult situations when the two strongly disagreed with each other. One of the touchstones was, did the couple handle disagreement without getting angry and out of control? The findings of this study did not apply only to couples, in my opinion, but to all relationships. And since this podcast focuses on relationships in general, I wanted to share President Nelson's suggestions, because they apply to all relationships, not only in homes, but in workplace, in the workplace as well. He drew his suggestions from interactions he has with his presidency. So one might ask, well, if all three of the first presidency are prophets, seers, and revelators, why don't they all see things the same way? Why do they disagree with each other? Lots of ways to answer this question, I suppose. But one way is to say that God works with his children in their uniqueness, and he does not make decisions for us. Else, he would thwart our agency. If he, if everybody saw things the same way, basically we would have, in a sense, nothing to do in life. We would have nothing to talk about because we would all see things exactly the same. We wouldn't have agency. So we each receive inspiration a bit at a time in our own way. And as we receive it, we counsel together. This counseling together process stems even from the Grand Council in Heaven. So we do everything in the Church based on councils, including family councils, and we might call couple councils. And by definition, those who participate in councils differ in the ways they see the same decision. So we talk until we find common ground, and then eventually come to unity. Okay, so let's look at President Nelson's six suggestions. First, express feelings with love. My wife is very good at this. I can be heading in a certain direction with a decision, and she can lead me in a different direction with a few words spoken kindly. Not making me feel like the decision that I was heading in, or that I was heading toward, was ridiculous. No, this means that she has to listen to me interpret me, figure out why I'm thinking in a certain way, and then suggest an alternate approach. Even yesterday, she said, this hasn't been my best day, and I can tell it hasn't been yours either. I totally agreed. We then talked until we figured out why it hadn't been so great. My reasons were different than hers, but we came to understand each other better, and it helped. If we didn't love each other, why would we care that the day had not been our best? So love always needs to be at the base of our conversation. That's the first suggestion. Number two, don't think you know best. This is a trap we all fall into at times, I believe. I've seen it in the workplace big time. 
one person gets his or her mind made up so that something needs to be done in a certain way, it needs to happen in a certain way, and no amount of discussion will lead the person to a new view. I call it rigidity, and rigidity can be destructive. Rigidity makes your brain turn off. It makes it impossible for you to listen to the other person. It shuts down conversation. Reasoning together stops when there's this kind of rigidity, when I know exactly what needs to be done and I'm not going to change. A friend once said, some people are more interested in being certain than they are in being right. I love this saying. I once participated in a meeting at work where a very articulate member of the group laid out a case for moving in a certain direction on an issue. He got done, and I think some people in the group were convinced that his approach made sense. But I had my doubts. I looked across the table and I said, That was a very compelling case you made. But I want to know something. Do you really believe that's the way we should go? He paused a minute and said, Maybe I got a little carried away. We talked some more and went in a very different direction with that decision. So we can kind of get too caught up in our own position and we think we know best. Not a good thing. Number three, don't compete. Competition can be very attractive to lots of people. We can get wound up trying to win our point simply because we want to win. But competition, I think that's what happened to that person that I just mentioned. He got so kind of wound up in his position, he forgot actually whether his final decision, the final decision that would come from that would be sensible. So, But competition leads to winners and losers. Think about it. And if someone loses the argument, relationships often suffer. One person goes away feeling put down, rejected, unappreciated, not valued. So competition is something we really shouldn't foster when we have discussions in our homes and at work. Suggestion number four, don't rigorously defend your position. Because we grow up thinking that competition is a good thing, we often learn how to defend our position. We learn how to write persuasive essays, how to debate an issue in current events, how to engage in political discourse. We've lived in France sometimes for a period of time, and we've watched French culture. The French love debates. They love watching them on TV. They engage in them in casual conversation. They like it when the debate gets heated. And we apparently like debates, too, to some extent, even though we don't call it that. We call it political campaigning, perhaps. And as we watch candidates for political office rigorously defend their position and, in the process, attack their opponent by discounting their opponent's position. It's a kind of, it's a verbal football game. We mount our offense and put on a strong defense. This kind of conversation, no. It does not lead to stronger relationships. It actually leads to separation and distance between us when we have to say that our way is the only way and somebody else's way cannot be considered. So we should not rigorously defend our position. President Nelson's number five suggestion, let the spirit guide your conversations. And I might make 
it very clear that my commentary on these suggestions is mine and not his. So he might have thought some things in very different ways than mine. But I thought I would elaborate on them because I think they're so powerful. So in a good conversation, truth emerges. Each party feels better because both are open to the promptings of the Spirit. I don't think that this is usually a conscious thing. It just happens when we let God prevail. I was teaching a class last Sunday, and there were comments that led us in exactly the direction we needed to go. Following the class, I reflected back on the experience, and I could come to only one conclusion. The Spirit was guiding the discussion in that class. At one point, one brother made a comment, and I jokingly, just half-jokingly said, I said, brother, so-and-so was a plant, because he said exactly what needed to be said right at this moment. His comment leads us just where we need to go. And then we went on to the next point. But seriously, I think if a group is communicating under the influence of the Spirit, we help each other along the way. We feed the conversation in positive ways rather than negative. Contention obviously leads in exactly the opposite direction. Okay, his final suggestion, number six, be filled with charity, the pure love of Christ. Love is the key. Competition and rigidity can lead to abuse. But, the char- but charity leads everything, leads everything and everyone upward. Everyone feels better following the discussion. No one feels ignored, left out, or devalued. Rather, everyone is edified, as it says in the Doctrine and Covenants. That doesn't mean that those who participate in the discussion must always agree with each other. Differing points of view can be enriching and enlivening. But when those present love one another, the journey to unity is uplifting and rejuvenating, can even be thrilling. So there they are, President Nelson's suggestions for disagreeing respectfully. I'll just mention them one more time. Express feelings with love. In other words, not anger. Two, don't think you know best. Don't dig in your heels. Three, don't compete. Don't try and have winners and losers. Four, don't rigorously defend your position. Don't get caught up in what you are proposing. Five, let the Spirit guide your conversations. In other words, let God prevail. Six, be filled with charity, the pure love of Christ. These are powerful suggestions, I believe. And if we use them as we interact with each other, we will arrive at inspired decisions. I think we'll come closer to truth when we follow these, obviously. When we follow these suggestions, we will come closer to good decisions and to truth. But in the process, our relationships with each other and with God will be strengthened. And that should be an outcome of all we do when we are with each other, that relationships strengthen both with God and with each other. I hope this is helpful, and I look forward to seeing you next time.